What is going to be a way that you steward your body today? And can that be doing enough for embodiment? You don't have to be in your body all the time, but can having that and knowing like, I just listened to this podcast and there's a lot of shit coming up now. Can I notice that and then choose a way to have joy in my body? That right there is, is shifting shit. That's doing the thing. That's yes anding. That's improvising. That's giving you different capacity to interact with others and have that attention of being less problematic. You're doing all of it. You just did 18 different theories that I share out every time I talk in my Lori talks, right? You're doing all of it and it takes five seconds. And those little seconds build up. Hello, this is Pam December, and this is the Mad for Purple podcast, your place for all things spirituality, self-actualization, healing, and human design. Keep listening to receive wisdom, tips, and tools as we journey into higher consciousness together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode from Mad for Purple. Today, I'll be talking with Lori Crawford. Lori is a 3-5 mental projector with the right angle cross of consciousness three, need motivation, and survival view. She is a new human mama, a fur mama, a foodie married to another foodie, a lover of dance, and rewatching the same shows over and over again. Lori is a peace of mind mentor and an embodiment guide. She helps other humans navigate overwhelm so they can access more ease and choice in their day-to-day through improvisational comedy and various energetic modalities, allowing them to live life reconnected to what and who matters most to them. As a mental projector with outer authority, this means, and I quote, I really could have anything imaginable and unimaginable to say in the moment, and that may or may not be insightful or entertaining. I hope you find this conversation to be both. Hello, Lori. Welcome to the show. I am so, so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Pam. And for those who can't see because you're not here, obviously, she has this radiant purple glow about her and I'm just in awe. Yes, the sun is out today and that means that my room is purple. So yay. I think it was episode one or two that I brought in the concept of yes anding. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, I have to have Lori on to elaborate on this. But before we dive into that, I would love to hear about your spiritual journey and how and maybe when it really began for you. Oh, so juicy. I like starting off with the deep dive. Thank you. Let's snorkel together. So I come from a long line of disembodied, disempowered, and trying to survive women. So a lot of silencing and disconnection, but that was so normal to me that I didn't know that's how I was operating. So I'd set that as like the foundation, right? So that's where I'm coming from is inheriting that, but also being a mental projector. And I have everything from the throat down undefined or open. So like feeling everyone's suffering and yearning all pent up, you know? So I I grew up feeling like this pressure cooker, right? So fast forward a lot of years now, (laughs) I went to grad school to study global governance and political security around 2015 with this interest in human security of thinking like, well, how do we keep people safe? And so by the time I graduated in 2017, I realized that it's all bullshit. And because the papers I was publishing, they wouldn't put in school journals or saying, this is too challenging of systems. Like this is too much. And so I realized it's not actually about keeping people secure, safe, 
it's actually about keeping the structures and the political system safe from people. So that way those systems are perpetuating. So that was where it wasn't necessarily like me having energetic language yet or spiritual language yet, but I just started to realize everything that I had been really told and had accepted was not actually the only way things had to be. And so there was just that curiosity, you know, and so I was like, well, what can I do to bring about what I call like humanizing human security, right? And so really the language came through of human stability. And I was like, well, what would being stable mean to me? And I, that's the type of question I started to realize, well, this and that part of my childhood weren't stable. My relationships with my family doesn't feel stable. I'm not financially stable. <laughs> just like realizing that there were so many different elements and they actually aligned with the seven pillars of human security. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. But there was one missing. And I was like, oh, there's just something else. And it just happened to be around that week, my friend told me about human design. And so I looked it up and I was like, oh, you know, like wormhole. <sighs> she told me at midnight, I should not have Googled. It's 3 a.m. and I'm crying. I'm a projector. There's nothing special about me because my mental authority, you know, when you pull up your chart, it says none. It's like, I don't have anything. <laughs> Worst time ever. But that was one of those catalysts for me to realize, oh, there's these other practices that I can be interested in. And I didn't know this until I was in my spiritual journey and I could suddenly remember positive things in my childhood. I was only able before to have the negative and realizing like my love for, I love leaves. I'm like obsessed with leaves and pine cones and rocks, but that love I thought started in adulthood as I was starting to do my spiritual practice, but actually was finding old pictures that didn't know existed of me as a child having that. Like I have one next to me. <laughs> I made this diorama of dead leaves and they're not like ones that stay red or yellow. They're like the crunchiest, crunchiest, like bird pooped on leaves. And I was just so proud and <laughs> holding it up like grinning so hard, you know? So I was able to realize that there was not only parts of me that were left behind, but I started to realize that there's actually this huge legacy, you know? And so I, beyond human design, I started using Oracle cards and really connecting into what I call Sinclarities, which is my version of manifestation because manifestation is, that makes me think of manifest destiny and white supremacy. And so I'm trying to unpack it this different way of looking at it and acknowledging and having those critical conversations. And so through that process, of like Sinclair's, all of this aligns at the same time that in providing, which we'll get into about yes ending, came through as a business idea, a way that I can start offering that discourse about human stability instead of human security. So I say all that to say there's been, uh, on paper, it doesn't make sense. Like how do you study global governance and now you're <laughs> a spiritual person? But I often find that that is like most of my life is that things actually align, like make sense in my brain. Like I see the patterns and then it's fun to play around and share that with other people and sort of give them the opportunity opportunity to catch up or decide not to catch up. Wow. I don't even know where to start unpacking. Yeah, that was that. a lot. <laughs> when you ask them to project or something, you don't yeah. know what comes up. No. <laughs> Maybe that's how some people feel with me with my 4323 when it starts going. <laughs> <laughs> Let me absorb this first. What a journey. And what I love about projectors too is this affinity to systems mm. and how to really know the systems and then sometimes break them down or work with them or create new ones. And coming from this place of you really see your survival view and your need motivation here. And I can also like looking at your chart, there's just this beautiful balance of upward energy and it is so balanced with the gates that you have on either side of your root, with the gates that you have coming up out of your sacral towards your identity. It's really neat to see how it all fits. And you were doing that before you discovered mm -hmm. human design. 
And I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been reflecting lately on, was I more quote on track, meaning like aligned and intuitive before I knew about human design? Have I been overthinking it now? But then there's so many ways I know I'm not because I even like in undergrad, I got two four-year degrees with minors at one time, like in five years, because it just, you know, that brain energy was like, there's just, there's something to do, but I was doing it because I was expected to go to school. I'm a first generation college student. I was expected to get straight A's, you know, like all of these things. So I was not doing it for myself. So I always said I was going to grad school for myself. Like my bachelor's degrees were for my family because no one on either side had ever been to college. And then I was going to do that for myself. So there was this sense of, it's like a loss that when I went and realized that I had spent so much money on grad school, because it was in DC. So I was taking out more money to live there than my tuition was for grad school for it to be like a sham essentially, you know? So the few friends I have from grad school, I tell them that they're a hundred thousand dollar friendships because I'm like, I'm just going to tell myself I paid for your friendship, which has its own layers there, you know, to justify, because I was really bitter going to school and then realizing that one, they're not going to publish my papers. They're not going to let me ask the questions I want to ask. They're not going to allow me to actually share the way that I see it. Like, so now with the human design context, like there was no invitation, <laughs> you know, and I was just trying to initiate just like, but I have these things, I have these things. I didn't have the ability to understand patience, which ironically, my high school quote was the like cliche, like patience is a virtue to a life not wasted. So I was telling myself again, and these gems coming through, but I just didn't have the context or the self-awareness to actually practice it. It was like, it sounds good on paper. <laughs> like, I don't know how to embody it. Oh, I can just imagine yeah, how frustrating and well, as a generator, how frustrating. <laughs> well, and, and see, so my alter ego is Petty Miss Prime. I really try to keep her at bay because she can, like I have adult consequences. I tell myself now as a child, great, cool. She could do whatever. But one of my human security professor, it was this paper and I was saying how Appalachia, like in the United States is essentially that the U.S. views it as a third world country, the way that narrative talks about it, infrastructure, resource allocation. And so I was looking at what would it take to stabilize Appalachia? And he just did not like that at all. Like he was very, very critical. And I see now, like I got some of those points, but also at the end of that course, he said, you need to be a specialist, not a generalist, because you just can't, you just can't. So to yes and that, you know, not to jump too far ahead, I now think of that as how can there be merit in that I am here to specialize in something? And also how can I challenge back that projectors in general will likely have something to share if they're invited, you know, if people want to hear it about a lot of things because we are taking in so much. So it's like, I now see it as I overextend myself when I try to be too general and know all of the things. And also I can really dive deep on some things, you know, because it just being told you can't really just didn't fit well. I was like, but I did, you know, and I think that's, was that three energy because my three, five trying to say like, but I have played with this. There is something to share out. It may not be a truth, like with capital T always, but there is something to question here. I don't have to be the one who answers it, but there is that question. How do we stabilize Appalachia? And I just didn't have that <laughs> way to say it. So I was a bit too radical, I guess. Well, I think that's the problem with some of these institutionalized systems though, right? Oh yeah. There's a box within that system and that you still need to fit in it to be accepted, which is bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Well, and if I had wanted to pursue a PhD, which, you know, big brain head was like at the time, like maybe I will just because I didn't want to go back to my day job, which while well, I was still working, I didn't want to like to face the reality that I wasn't prepared for anything else after spending so much at grad school. But there's only one PhD program in the whole country that has a human security program. So even that, if you're thinking of all of the institutions that have PhD programs and only one has human security, that's again, where I was like, this isn't about stabilizing or offering security to anyone. This is actually about, again, politicians and the whole system structures being able to say, oh, we tried, but 
but really the trying was just like, again, that same sense, like to call myself into that practice of patience is a virtue to a life not wasted, but me not understanding how to be patient in terms of sharing out things. Mm. So I'm curious, I'm not sure we should go down this rabbit hole, but this is what wants to come through. (laughs) Having studied this and now having like, we're two years into this pandemic, what are you seeing reflected in what you've studied and what you're witnessing? I actually was thinking about this last night. So maybe like brain loy, it's like taking in my 624 was like, oh, here's this gem to share with Pam. So to set the scene last night, I was in my kitchen, our hot water heater's broken. So there's dishes everywhere because cold water doesn't clean your dishes. That's the context, right? (laughs) So I'm in that space and I'm trying to ask myself, is there something I'd rather think about? And I had this thought come through of like, and I've had it before, but I wasn't able to connect it to the context of the pandemic where I was like, you know what? Disembodiment is essentially what you inherit through whiteness, right? Because if you're embodied, you feel the repercussions of what should be accountability, right? If you're in your body more, you know that you did something wrong to someone. You feel that cringe. You feel whether it's empathy, sympathy, you can just tell something's happening. But through whiteness and this legacy, everyone who is experiencing whiteness from the place of being white and having that privilege, you've inherited to some extent disembodiment. And yet once white people, myself included, first are learning about spirituality, there's so much co-option because usually the practices you go to are not practices that would have been indigenous to your culture, wherever that would be. And so suddenly there's this idea that, oh, well, there's something rehumanizing me. And appropriation happens when you're only only rehumanizing yourself with a practice that's not indigenous to your own lineage, right? If so, a lot of people use this in the yoga space. And I am a certified yoga teacher, but my course was thankfully anti-racist and social justice based. So we had these conversations. So I'm using that language. This was not, I just didn't know these things. So I want to clarify that, you know, this is not a white lady who just knows everything. But I was having that thought of now there's so many people, especially in the pandemic and white wellness influencers that are perpetuating a lot of harm by saying like, oh, I just need to have my ginger shot today and I'm fine. But it's not about you. Like whiteness wants everything to be about the individual. It's really not about you. It's about how are you impacting your community and how are you essentially saying that I take precedence over everyone else around me in this space. And so there's this way that whiteness is really... Again, it's like a mirage. It's like a veil that gets really, um, it's better at masking itself by saying, oh, well, now I'm a spiritual wellness-based person and I'm in my body. So now I'm like about being pure. I don't eat organic, which again, there's benefits and also it's not accessible for everyone. But there's this idea that suddenly I'm going to be in my body for the sake of saying that my body is more superior than others. So embodiment suddenly still shirks accountability and responsibility. So it's like, I don't know if I'm expressing it fully, but there's this thought of like, oh shit, that's what I'm really seeing through this pandemic is that the white people with the loudest microphone, so to speak, with the biggest platforms who are in these wellness spaces are using pseudo embodiment because again, if they were truly in their body, they would realize the harm they're doing. And wouldn't it just be about them? They'd be part of the collective body. But the way that they're picking and choosing their embodiment is to be more problematic. And so I just had that thought of like, fuck, is embodiment even like, should white people who aren't at a space or willing to do the work of accountability and realizing that we are born into something that is problematic and have to dismantle those problems? Should embodiment even be something that is encouraged? Or should there be the mental willingness first to do the work and then embodiment happens? Because it just, it becomes this different level of harm that can be done. Yeah, that was a lot, but like I had that thought while staring at my dishes. (laughs) Amazing what will come through when we're doing the most mundane tasks, right? (laughs) So as somebody that practices and teaches embodiment, is there an opportunity for you to yes and be look at you paradox that you're finding yourself in yes thank you 
clapping. I'm sure you can hear that. Just save context. It's not like, I don't know, something flapping <laughs> in the wind. <laughs> no, yes, yes. And so how improvising, which is my business name, but also the process, right? Just a brief context. So it's a mashup of words of improv. So improvising and providing. So it's, I say it's improvising with the D, right? Not that kind. Get your mind on the better. So it's this idea of if life is providing us opportunities to experience so like if we're checked in in the moment and realize life is happening, what happens if we improvise our response to them? Can we suddenly know when we're adulting on autopilot and then also have access to then switch out of that mode and realize, oh, there's shit to process in this moment. Like something's happening right now, right? And so that's the context of like that as a process. When that was first coming through as a download, I was realizing that's how I was working with the youth that I work with and why our relationships worked so well compared to other staff who just couldn't really connect with them. I mean, you know, I was realizing youth are providing me with their accurate location that day. They're showing up and saying, I can't do this lesson plan, or maybe I can, or maybe not this way. And then I'm improvising how I respond to that. I'm not saying, well, screw you. We're doing this worksheet and then staring into the abyss. I'm saying, okay, let's actually break this down. Oh, your friend was shot last week. We need to talk about that because the school's not offering support. You know, we were having these really intimate, but critical spaces. So as that demo was coming through, I had to do a presentation in a cohort I was in. And the week before is when my friend told me about human design. <laughs> so like all these things where I was suddenly seeing all these things. And so I give my presentation and the woman facilitating that co-working group after where it said, you should stick with them providing it's something like there's something about that. And I was like, is this my first invitation? Oh my God. Is <laughs> right. So that was happening. Right. So about yes. Anding this paradox here, along with that initial download was this idea that I'm a shit shifter. And, you know, I started saying that people like, what? I don't get it. It's like, and if you think about my human design, so I have head and notion undefined, everything below is undefined or open and my solar plexus, spleen and heart are fully open. Right. So I have both awareness centers fully open. Right. So things are just whoo, coming in. I'm a sponge. And so I was realizing that what we need is shit shifting. So, right. Shit's going to happen in life. It can be good shit, bad shit. It's just a lot of shit. Right. And I say we have the shit mountain inside of us and we don't actually ever get told to clear it out or how to process. We're actually discouraged from acknowledging it's there. So what happens, it's like a volcano and there's these geysers, right? And our emotions get sort of clammed up. So everything's like, oh, this goes in the frustration column. This goes into the regret column, right? And so like these geysers are building pressure and then suddenly someone pulls in front of us and we have to slam on our brakes and we're mad and cussing at them. And we think it's just about someone pulling in front of us. But really it's about, we're still bitter that our grandma didn't let us eat dessert in 1997. And we never got to say how much that upset us because our sister got to eat dessert or whatever it is, right? Because there's just no way to let that out. So when I'm thinking about understanding these paradoxes, it's really like we have to be able to acknowledge that there's shit to shift. We have to acknowledge our complacency in the shit, that we're hoarding our shit, that we've been expected to hoard it. And there's really like, I truly believe that one, it's not even about shaming anyone about having the shit. Like we all have it. So can we acknowledge that it's been normalized, but that it shouldn't be normal that we have to carry all of that? You know, and so it's like we don't have the capacity or access to start shifting that shit until we like name it. And then I have this curiosity about if we're able to name it and start to shift it energetically, do we then have a different capacity to have anti-racist practices, to listen to indigenous elders, to start actually allowing things to become more collective based and to also practice accountability? Because right now, most people don't have the capacity to add on one more task, but there's ways we can yes and those moments and improvise through our day that gain capacity. Because what happens is most of us are waking up at 99% full. And like we are waking up 
like I already can't even. I call it overload. We're in overload. Like I already can't even. Enough is enough. I know it's not. I'm not going to get a break, right? And so we can't expect a full global society who's already at that stress level, especially during the pandemic, to have capacity to do more. But I do believe the yes ending comes in from shifting that shit around. You know, I think of it like open up your book bag. Why are you carrying around a toaster? Who knows? Chuck it around. You can get it later. You know, and like getting the cobwebs out. Like I always see this sort of fluttering motion of like, we just need to clear shit out, take a breath, which I don't do when I talk. So I get excited and then see what do I have capacity for? You know, and the last thing I'll share right about this particular part is just this idea of like, where would I give my shits if I had shits to give like that I wanted to? Because that idea of like, I don't give a shit. It's like, we literally don't have anything to give towards the things that we want because systems are making us work five jobs just to pay for a house. We don't even get to go on because we're working five jobs to raise a family. We don't even get to see because again, we have to work so much. Like there's just so much fuckery in our bodies. No, it doesn't make sense. But unless we're able to have the capacity and responsible people to guide us into our bodies and to be there when shit comes up to navigate it, because it will, we can't address external problems when we're not realizing how problematic it feels within our bodies. Oh, I feel that so much. And one of the things that I've talked about about on the show and with other guests is how so many people don't want to be in their bodies. And that's mm. exactly why. Because there's Oh, so I hated people. having a body growing up, Pam. I used to say I was a, a walking head. I now understand because I have head and nausea. Like you get it. I loathed having a body, not only because it doesn't look acceptable to society, but I could feel all of the things inside that I knew weren't me. I hated having a body. Like if I could be the head that was Adam's family where they're walking with the head, if I could be that head on a platter and just talk sign me up yeah because there's so much that we don't even realize that we carry it's not ours whether it's generational or past life or this life like there's so many things that we just don't need to carry anymore but not in like a bypassy way either. yeah like but in a real I, yeah exactly because whiteness again doesn't want you to confront anything it wants to be very passive and like in the shadow but the marionette all the string masters right but i have this raging curiosity right and this is where my five planets in leo and my aries moon come out like i just i'm like can we just acknowledge or at least get curious about how if we were able to at least name that there's something going on and that it's impacting us, does that actually mean we suddenly have access to not carrying all of it or to shifting it? Like if we could actually process it, we don't then have to hoard because again, there's this greediness about whiteness because whiteness isn't rooted in a culture or lineage or something that is actually natural. So that's why it's so fragile when you actually shine a light on it. And so it's like, there aren't roots. If something doesn't have roots, it topples over. So like it's grasping, it's essentially the marionette strings are pseudo roots keeping its relevancy. And every single person who isn't actively, even 1% of their energy a day trying to dismantle or disrupt or to disengage from it in any way at all, that remains a puppet on the string, right? And it's like, and again, whiteness wants us white people to feel like we have to be saviors and it's all about one person doing it all. And that then automatically means we're checked out because if we wake up with 1%, that means we don't have 4,000 trillion percent it takes to dismantle all system. And we're not supposed to. It's like the small things you do in interactions with each other, the small practices you do, the ways that you practice your own accountability, right? I'm like going on another rant. I just get so fired up. And I think part of the, the complex that projectors have to work with is that we have to understand that it makes so much sense to us and our vision, but that does not mean that anyone else sees it that way. And the responsibility is to not let that discourage you from still being in those complicated spaces, you know? And so like, I really feel like if you want to know my journey through life, when I was little, my favorite word was strap 
shrapnel. I just liked how it was said. But I also, my dad is in the military. I just assumed everyone in the military was a sniper. And so how problematic is it as a little kid that I was like, yeah, I want to be a sniper. That's like, cool. But I didn't understand the context of what that meant you were doing. And so like now my favorite word is steward or stewardship. Like I just gravitate towards that word so much, like curator, just the spectrum of energy and life that those two words exude. Like it's just so different. And so I I always remind myself of that initial energy because that is showing how much I was just buying into a system of being like you're born into and not questioning. It's like, of course, that's what happens. Oh, remember the original question, Pam. So I'm passing it back to you. Oh, it just makes me think of, because like we're in the midst of this global shift that's shown in human design of moving from this cross of planning that set up all of these systems into the cross of the sleeping Phoenix and how we've only been nine centered beings since 1781. We're still carrying so much of the seven centered conditioning and all that needs to be healed. And each of us can do our own individual healing. And if we're all doing that, how that creates ripples for everyone around us. And it just keeps going out and out globally, right? It also makes me wonder about this embodiment piece and how do we have more people realize the responsibility that comes with it and steward more people doing this kind of work? Yeah, something that you shared made me think of. So I'm newly a mother. As of last week, I'm in denial. She's four months old (laughs) somehow already. Um, And that has been a huge part of my spiritual journey and how I even know, and when I mentioned earlier, why I know that I come from a lineage of women who had to stay quiet or be hurt, essentially. Because I, when I've had several miscarriages, and so that I was already really mistrusting in my body. Like I already hated my body for having one because of all the things I mentioned before. And a lot of harm. I had a lot of abusive relationships growing up. And so then I had pregnancy losses. So then it's just like, what is wrong with my body? I have a bad body, right? And I was already saying, I'm an embodiment guide at that point, but I still, like there's these inner voice that I did it there. I wouldn't even turn the flashlight on it. But through that practice, our lovely friend, Anna, um, she's a medium. And so I had a mediumship session. My grandmother had recently passed. And that was someone where like, as a child, it was like, yay, grandma. And then as I got older, I was like, ooh, complex being. You're not the grandma. Like you had a different life beyond that role and that like you were a problematic parent to my mom. And now I see why my mom experiences so much of like challenges with her life, you know? And so I was able to see that context, right? And then also challenge myself to see how my part of that system, because each family is a system. But during are reading my baby, you know, my energetic baby, my womb wanted to come through. And so Anna was like, well, she wants to, like, do you want to talk? I'm like, um, yes. And so the fact that I had an energetic pregnancy, like I was speaking to her every day, like she was coming to me in dreams. She had three fairy godmothers, like her spirit guides, like where all that was happening. And I am so grateful because I had a type of pregnancy that I know no one for dozens of generations in my family have had. And it felt like this returning to how things probably were at some point. The fact that I knew that I could communicate with her. So like, And she even told Anna, you know, to tell me that I'm going to be reborn through her birth. And there was this thing. So I suddenly started like, well, I might question myself some days, but I'm not going to question my child or this being that's speaking to me, that's going out of their way and using their energy to find ways to speak to me. You know, and my husband and I couldn't think of a a name. Well, I had plenty of names. He hated all of them. We couldn't agree on one. I was meditating and I was like, can you just tell me what letter it starts with? And I heard M so loudly that I like whipped my head around. I was like, someone's in the room. And the next day we're driving and I didn't know he saw it on a sign because I was the one driving. But he says Mercury out of nowhere. And I was like, yes, my whole body lit up. Like my whole body. And he's like, I'm just joking. Like I saw it on the sign. I was like, okay, manifester, you informed, like you initiated that. I don't care if you thought it was a joke. It's the literal sign. That's it, right? 
<laughs> and so there's this way that like, there was just so much trust. And like, even the last thing I saw once she was in position to come out, there was literally only two pushes. And my doctor's always like, I don't know how you did that. I was unmedicated. I forgot I wasn't medicated. Like I just was just, all I was doing was breathing. And I kept saying, breathing is enough. Breathing is enough. And, you know, I was letting her fairy godmothers like guide me through that. The very last thing that I saw and how I knew she was coming with the next push was that I literally saw there was like this huge, like those carnival games where you hit the bell and it goes up and hits the lights and then ding, ding, ding like that. But when it's coming back down, I saw these whole like most elevator shaft of lights coming down. And then I just literally saw her energetically like being born. And so I apparently said, she's coming. And she literally flew out. The doctor didn't have time. Like the doctor was moving a chair that was in the way. Nate had to catch her. She was in midair. And if he wanted to caught her, she would have slammed into a wall. Like just all these things. So like, and he is a very neat freak. Like he was trying to put on his gloves to be all cute. And I'm just like, she's coming. And I literally, when I pushed it, threw me back and I know she's flying. So I like reach up to try to grab her like something's going to happen, you know? So she literally came in as her name is Mercury, very feisty. I say all that to say that like that level of uh, energetic work, like what I was doing during pregnancy was asking her what needs healed, what needs healed in our house. We bought it three years ago. So acknowledge the privilege of owning a home. We had uncovered that the seller had covered up mold, right? And we didn't know until we bought it. And so we had to put thousands of dollars on credit cards to get it fixed, all the stuff. Fine for three years. In my pregnancy, it all starts happening again. So now we have to get it all fixed. And she came through and said during meditations that I have this fear of water. Like something has happened to me around launch parties of water. So it was this way of her saying like, this home needs to be ready for me to finally come and why I didn't come before, why like you had this miscarriage was because it, these things wanted to have been found out and we wanted to have been able to have it be safe for my arrival. And so to say all this is like through having that energetic pregnancy experience, I know and have been told and affirmed that we have done family like lineage line healing now. You know, because the first session I had with Anna before I was pregnant, baby came through. My grandmother wanted to come through and say, it's like, you know, like all of the things that you've ever been criticized for through our family are actually the exact things that you are here to do. And there was this image of hundreds of women like in succession of line for my lineage. And then I'm the first one to step out of line. And it's that energy and that shift. So like there's been healing to do. So in your point of like when responsible people who are willing to acknowledge that, like we all still need accountability and coaching and to know that we have this saying like, my goal every day is to be the least problematic as possible, but I know I'll never be unproblematic because the moment you think you're unproblematic, you become uncoachable and then you become super fucking problematic, right? But so let's get back to your questions. Like this idea of who can be an embodiment guide who is committed to being least problematic and knows that they will never be unproblematic. And how can, to your point of ripples, because that's why I thought of this is like, how can we realize that 1% of effort on restoring actually yields like 50%, right? Of what we think, like undoes 50% of the harm that we could have done if we chose otherwise. Don't quote the math. But it's like this idea of like, we actually don't realize once we start to repair, there's this legacy of healing that happens. And when we're repairing generations back and generations forward, which is an indigenous belief that seven generations of our impact, you actually then suddenly have so many more out, like spiritual allies and guides on your side. Because now I realize that my most problematic ancestors that I knew in my life that have passed are doing their energetic work and are now supporting and saying, I didn't have the capacity or access in the lifetime, like in the flesh to do this, but now I'm able to offer this energetic support. So again, it counters that idea of whiteness of we have to do this all by ourselves. Because now I know I have this whole spirit squad, right? You know, and now I still pull a card every week, well, most weeks, because, you know, mom brain, but asking my baby spirit guides, like, what does she need to communicate to me this week? You know, and we're navigating ask reflux and eczema and seborrheic like all this stuff. And I'm able to see like, okay, patience is the card you're getting. Nurturing is the card you're getting. Like, I'm still able to get these messages. So I'm making sure that I'm being the least problematic towards my child as possible. This like, yeah, the big effort was to make sure she gets here safely, but now she has her whole life, all of that, that I'm then taking that energy towards. Yeah. Okay, guys. I'm gonna like that too. Yeah.
Was it tall or anything? Can you put the mic on? No? Just like, yeah. Okay, goodbye. We'll have to do some energy work on it. Okay. I'll be like half my Sorry about that. Oh no, we're going to yes and the shit out of it. What a beautiful note. And this is in providing moment. So life just provided you an opportunity. The opportunity is to connect with your child, right? Right as I'm talking about being a steward to that child parent dynamic. And you were given that moment and you improvised. You were offering suggestions. You were yes anding their need. You weren't like, no, get out of here. You see, I'm busy. Like you just yes anded the shit out of that. These are those moments. Like look at how much harm now you don't have to repair. I'm feeling like choked up about it because I feel you, your energy surging. Yeah. Think about how much you don't have to undo right now because you just yes ended that. Well, and it just brings me like as a child and not having the simple Mm. that being mad literally and and so a lot of things that i say often to myself because i don't let myself share it out um you know is that we to the point of embodiment we can be so averse to our bodies because our bodies are the library i call them life berries right of knowing that our inner child was never allowed to have the microphone and so we become adults that are so afraid to pass the microphone to children around us even if we don't have biological children any younger person in society because there's this fear that i'm not going to get the microphone back I had to wait until I was an adult and had all these responsibilities under check and I was doing things properly, right? To get the microphone. And I'm so afraid that if I pass the microphone, I won't get it back. But jokes on us, everyone has their own microphone. It's just, can we turn our volume down or shut up for a minute and realize that everyone has a microphone and everyone is supposed to be heard and validated and nourished. So like, I am feeling you're feeling, you know, like that's one of the beautiful things of why I love being in any type of one-to-one moment with someone, because I think it was my body is literally like a litmus test. I can feel everything that anyone has from the throat down, you know, like I literally feel that. So like I was getting choked up even as you were attending to that and wanting to share out so much because it's like society would have said that you needed to mute, pause recording, edit this out of the podcast, do all these things. I'm like, fuck no, let's just celebrate how literally like that is improvising. Life provided you a moment and you improvise through it. You were responsive to their needs and like, you don't have to heal that now. Those 30 seconds means that there's not a larger four hour window that your child's going to be questioning whether they're worthy for you to have to realize just something to repair. Like think about how much harm doesn't have to be undone. That's being the least problematic as possible. Wow. And that's a clarity, like with my idea, uh, like how I look at speaking with the universe, right? We were talking about sort of clarifying this. So the clarity process is you clarify your desires, you sense the synchronicities as they're happening, and then you receive what's happening, release anything that feels like it's challenging you to not enjoy the moment and then repeat that process, right? So we're talking about being at least problematic and being in this parent and child dynamic, right? So we're clarifying our desires. Like we want to be able to be in that moment. We want to do healing through our legacies, through different generations. Then you receive that moment where you were able and you released the expectation of this podcast has to go perfectly. I can't, you know, and you were able to sense that there was something there. So like you just went through that whole process and that took you probably a lot less energy to then instead of being like authoritarian, I can't even say words that are problematic today, authoritative, you know what I mean? Like and knowing their needs away. Oh, that's exactly because if I'd sent them away, I would be carrying guilt and shame mm-hmm. and everything because my body would be like, that wasn't the right thing to do. Literally. And then again, that goes back to why it can be so challenging to be in or with or even acknowledge your body. It's because it's giving you those pulses. It's letting you know, mm, 
that's a little a little rusty right there mm, we're feeling raggedy today and that and full disclosure for like where I personally struggle with my own embodiment is especially being a mental projector which means my environment is so important to me I grew up in a house with a hoarder and the physical reality right now like with our basement like the mold issues and everything's like half of our house is now crammed into place that doesn't belong because it can't be on that floor still so I'm in an environment that is so over cluttered and chaotic but the things that we have are things that we need because we want to be able to reinvest in them again and so it's like so even that there's this tension of especially in having executive dysfunction with ADHD like seeing things and knowing that there's things that need to be done and the tension of also knowing that they can't be done and so where do I practice grace and kindness there how do I acknowledge when I'm disassociating from my body because I'm overwhelmed and can I just acknowledge I'm overwhelmed and and I always say like can a goal be that adulting on autopilot isn't the only way I live but also that I can totally do that if that's the best choice like can there just be choice can we acknowledge when we're adulting on autopilot and can we also have access to saying I want to actually be present in this moment right but like that's where I'm sort of my personal struggle right now is knowing my environment is so important and knowing that I've never had access throughout childhood to a supportive environment and how that makes me question if I know how to take care of my environment you know and and then the literal reality right now is that I even if I had the energy to I don't have the capacity or the option of doing it in the way that would probably be more supportive and instead of making a story out of it and feeling the shame and guilt of the shoulds and the woods and the coulds just holding both yeah, exactly. And so what that looks like often, like we started shared earlier, this is why I love my mind. I always like, I picture my existence as a board game where like your candy land where it like overcrosses itself. Sometimes you're like, oh, that's why I said that earlier. When I was sharing out that I was in my kitchen staring at dishes that I couldn't wash because the water's not hot enough and I don't have time to boil water. I have new, you know, like, so I'm staring at these dishes and knowing like, I really want access to that counter. And of course I made French toast last night, which I usually don't even like. So there's syrup. So there's things I don't want to stack. So like, just like look, being that moment, like there's something that I want to access that I don't have the way to access. So I'm going to just stare at it. And by acknowledging I was overwhelmed, that's when that download came through about the way being problematic as a white spiritual entrepreneur leader, whatever terms people are using during the pandemic are being so pervasively problematic, right? And so I was like, just from acknowledging that, I was able to shift capacity to receive that thought, which then has like led to adding to, you know, our conversation today, you know? And so I sit with that too, of like, that makes sense to me. Does it have to make sense? Does it make sense to other people? And that's what it's like to be a mental projector. There's always thoughts. No. (laughs) I'm a mental projector in body and in mind, but together I make a generator. So I can relate in a lot of ways and also have the 61. So it's one that I have really embraced and I love the wonder and the questioning that comes with it and learning not to attach stories to the questions, just let them be questions. Yeah. And every time I hear someone offer me the reminder and it, it won't even just be like to me, I just see someone saying it, but I'm like, that's for me. Um, is, you know, it's like just sharing out the questions is enough. You don't have to have the answers and like to get like this visceral understanding that as a mental projector, that really is the whole point is to just offer things for people to consider, but I don't have to carry the weight of doing anything about it. But at the same time, there's still this more tactile, tangible thread that I also like can just feel in my beingness that I am here to do. So like there is an element of doing, right? It can also be really easy to be like, oh, projector, I don't do anything, you know, but it's just this, again, it, that's the idea of the stewardship. It's like this cultivating, this nurturing, like it's almost like I can share out the thoughts and, and give a vision of, of this curiosity, like how else could this be? So, right, like stabilizing humanity. What does that look like as an individual practice, right? And a collective practice, like what does that look like and offer that curiosity and just curate and nurture those conversations. Like, again, it's like adding, like, again, the the awareness factor for people, but that my responsibility is not to do all the things. So it's like, again, just that tension point and holding that. 
And that's something that I feel like moving forward, moving into this global shift, into the cross of the sleeping phoenix, into the era of the individual, as these systems and things are broken down, changed, just how much more of that we're all going to have to hold the two sides of the coin at the same time in daily life and just how challenging that can be, but allowing enough space and grace and self-compassion to have it be however it's going to be and that be okay. Yeah. I'm so glad you just said that, how you said that, because <laughs> when I was first getting the downloads for improvising, um, I started saying razzle dazzle a lot. And then this whole song came through and this was th- three years ago. And that's when I thought I would start my podcast, you know, again, but I realized I was planting seeds, planting seeds. And so there's this song, right. And it, <laughs> I'm a great singer, people, so be prepared. No, so it's like, have a razzle-dazzle day. It's the improvising way. Have a razzle-dazzle day. Everything's going to be some type of way. Have a razzle-dazzle day, right? And so this idea, like, everything's going to be some type of way, but can we just, like, tune in and realize that it's, like, what is the way? Like, what's happening? How are we receiving it? How are we perceiving it? And is there something that we can then shift, right? Again, it's like, can we shift our shit mountain before it's at capacity? And I also, because that song can, and, and the idea of razzle-dazzle can sound bypassy, there's also another part where if a razzle-dazzle day and accessible, put an F on front and have a frazzle dazzle day. You know, like in that idea, it's like the razzle part. It's like, can you acknowledge your reality? And the dazzle is like, can you still be yourself then in your body? Right. Because frazzle dazzle then means like I can have a frustrating day, right. Or whatever is happening day. And can I acknowledge to myself that it's happening? Because it's like, can you let your inner beingness, your body do the dazzling, right? Like, can it speak to you? Can it have its microphone? You know, because you can both have a shit day and acknowledge that it feels shit in your body and then decide the best thing from right now is to disconnect from my body again. That's great because it's still, it's, it's a choice. Because then you'll know, oh, I'm starting to feel a little different a few days later. I can reconnect my body, right? It's again, it's like, think of it as like a self-ship. How can I have a relationship with myself? And how can that be informed on consent? Sometimes my body's going to say, you're not in a mental space to connect with me. Let's text each other tomorrow. You know, like it's going, that could be the very best choice for you. And what if embodiment is that simple as being able to, not even simple, accessible. What if embodiment can be accessible where it's based on consent and choice and that your body has consent and choice as well as your mind and your spirit? You know, like what if you're full? beingness had tiers and layers and different networks of consent and choice. And what if that was embodiment? I love that. That just takes it to a whole different level and there's no bypassing. Yeah, it's really because because if we acknowledge that we're an interrelated network within ourselves, how much more challenging does it become to say that you're not connected to the network outside of yourself, of other beings? Because one of those voices within yourself is going to be saying, hey, yellow light, yellow light, we're getting close to red. Hey, like, did you really need to push that lady out of the way to get on the bus first to get your favorite seat? Probably not. You know, like we would be able to, because again, it's because we're waking up already at capacity. The idea of adding any single thing is overwhelming. So I offer the the reframe of like, what if you're not adding? What if you're, again, sensing and noticing and having different choices? So like, I don't get to brush my teeth as much as I would like to with a newborn. But then I'm like, oh, wait, if I'm already in there peeing, can I brush my teeth while I'm peeing, even this middle of the day. If the only time I brush my teeth today is 3 p.m., cool, it still got brushed once. That's more than yesterday because I didn't realize yesterday happened because what is time? You know, like those little practices. Again, it's like, oh, when I'm literally I'm going to have a dance party when the water heater gets fixed on Wednesday and I can finally have like hot water for dishes and take a shower. Like I'm going to make a whole fucking parade of it because I have been wanting hot water. Like, again, it's this this luxury that we overlook until you don't have it for two and a half weeks. Like I'm going to guess in the shit out of that and be like, yes, I'm cleaning and cleaning is frustrating for me and I'm having a fucking party and I feel great about it and I'm going to go scrub the crap out of my skin 
out and like enjoy not having a cold shower, like all of those things. But that literally is then letting my body share out like and shift this energy like and feel the change. Because if I was still frustrated, like slamming dishes and like, oh, I hate that I have to do this. But there's still that part of me that wants to celebrate it. That then would be bypassed by the part of me that wants to have the control of being angry. Just keep going on rants. I call it Lori Robin rambles. Like you don't know what's going to come out, but like we go somewhere. Yeah, the beauty of, yeah, the defined head and ajna and the undefined throat. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah, and especially like I, and I really re-sentimented the idea of rambles when I realized like as a mental projector and with my individual configuration of energies, I have to go again. That's why I love that, the idea that I'm just like a living board game, right? I have to go through all of these loops to actually get the breadcrumbs out because I don't know, listen, this is how trippy this is. I don't actually know what my body holds unless I start talking and go on that journey to allow because as I'm wandering as Lori's rambling because when I looked up the definition of ramble one of the definitions to walk without a purpose or to walk without knowing the direction and I was like oh well shit that's like what happens and I used to shame myself I hated my voice and I hated that I would talk so much but it was because I didn't know that that's how I get my truths my body truths out and so I'll share something and I literally now that I have bodily awareness and access to it I'll feel where that message is coming from and the first place I felt that was my spleen and so to realize oh I have survival be like now that I can see these other parts of course course, spleen was the voice that was trying to come through the loudest because it was trying to recalibrate, like you're holding on to things you don't need, what you need to let go. You know, and so from that part, it's like now when I'm rambling, I just want to thank the person for holding the space and go. But like, I don't actually know what I have to share out until I start sharing out. And so, yes, we might have gone 89 directions today. But for me now, I get to experience. And if I listen back to this, a beautiful tapestry and mosaic of what does it mean to be alive right now in my life? How is my journey preparing me for here? And what seeds have I planted that will come up again in the future? Yes. So for any mental projectors listening to this, this is why soundboarding is so important. And one other thing for mental projectors, because it's, I feel like there's so little information that's accessible and like not jargony where it feels, you know, like not your thoughts um, on the internet, at least is that I can feel like I don't have things to soundboard because I don't have huge decisions to make. Like, I'm not like, am I moving today? And so sometimes I rob myself and it does feel like that visceral. So I'm using that language intentionally that I rob myself of opportunity to acknowledge my accurate location of how I'm doing and to experience energetic shift because I won't let the thoughts come out vocally because. I think, oh, I don't have, I'm not deciding on anything right now, but it's also like, it's like tuning up your car, right? We keep talking about oil changes. Pam and I both need oil changes. Maybe she's gotten hers. I have not. Um, I have not. (laughs) I haven't either. Even though I've manifested at Sinclarity, right? I've gotten like four coupons so far, but it's like cold. I have a newborn. But anyways, but like those, that tune up, right? So by letting yourself ramble, your body will then know, oh, wait, you do now have something to make a decision on. You can decode which voice is saying which inside your body. Like you can have space for that whole arena, right? Because the frustration that comes up if, and the, the bitterness rather is if we aren't practicing regularly and then we have this big choice, we don't actually know what it feels like. And for me, I finally had an experience a couple of weeks ago where I realized like, oh shit, that was actually receiving clarity from my authority where I was talking and usually it'll just taper off. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm done sharing. But I actually felt like nothing in my body. Like I actually felt like not hollow. It was this like serene, just levelness. Like I I felt like a really like juicy, like one, I don't even know the right words. It's like when you see like a, a cove somewhere where there's like a cave, but there's water and there's just like those diving holes. Like I just felt like, like that. It was like a, a energetic hug where it's like, I am both full and unfilled by anything else. It was like, Brad, I was like, what the fuck? That contrast again. Yeah, oh, I love that. And now I love you. I love that. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> 
And now that you have that feeling and you know it, yeah. it'll come so much easier or it'll be easier to recognize. I won't say it'll come that much. Um, yeah. It'll exactly. be easier to recognize. Yeah. Cause I used to think, oh, I talked about it once. Like now I just know how I feel. But again, it is that like revisiting things several times, different places, you know, and to your point now that I know it, it's like, and this is part, I think also with having ADHD and executive dysfunction is like showing myself something is possible suddenly makes the next steps to do it again, more accessible. So like before baby came, but like I wasn't able to like because of the basement thing, like to have nurse, like all this nesting that I wanted to do. So I just started with our closet that was supposed to be like toiletries and towels, but it was just like the everything, like diaper, like it, it was just like, instead of having a everything drawer, we had everything closet. And it took me a week to do that. And, you know, my manifest husband's like, why are you spending a week doing that? I was just like, I needed to show myself that it was possible to throw things away that were old. Cause again, I'm hoarding internalized, you know, background from childhood, like to throw things out that I can organize things, that things can actually be done in a way that was respectful of my energy. So like I pulled up a chair, I acknowledged that I was seven and a half, eight months pregnant. You know, like I, I was really respectful about my energy, my body and doing it. So now when I know I have to do these big things that mentally overwhelm me, I'm able to ask what's the most respectful way to do this. And how can my body be part of that conversation and in, in deciding how I do it? Or if I do it, or if I just say it's not a today thing and then say that for weeks and be okay with it, that it may not be a thing till the next season. Exactly. And the being okay with it without adding yeah. to the story, adding again to the shame and the blame and all these things that we carry. And what you're talking about with the soundboarding too. And even with our manifestors and our manifesting generators with the informing, like it's all about moving energy. And if we're not using yeah. our voices, we're hoarding energy. Mm, yeah. And that's like, all of this is like, so connecting back to whiteness. Cause again, whiteness, it's like the veil that's on everything. And like, again, whiteness with that hoarding energy, um, you know, and like there's someone online called her, Instagram account, I believe is like Jazz the Moon Mother. And so like this came from a session with her. So I want to give her credit to that. But she essentially like brought to my awareness is like your, she talks about in the lens of money, right? Like people are hoarding money. So then it's harder to receive because they're like, oh, I finally got this, like whatever I'm looking for. Right. But it came through in a session with her that's like, I'm hoarding my message because of the layers of I've been hurt for speaking in the past. I don't want someone to take these ideas and then use them irresponsibly and cause a lot of harm, you know, and because you can bypass the shit out of things with the yes and if you're doing it, you know, in the way of shirking responsibility. Like you can co-opt anything and make it really problematic. So there's all these reasons why I haven't been sharing it out. So again, I appreciate so much what you just shared because what is systems change beyond the fact that we're changing energy and exchanging energy and letting new energy come in to re-nourish things. So hoarding that energy by not sharing out is actually doing a greater disservice than if I was never aware of any of this and like didn't know that any of this was possible. And into that point, anyone who decides to embark on an embodiment journey, like two things. One, know that things are going to come up and you both have the option of saying, I can't handle this this moment. I need different capacity, but also that you need to have the accountability to know that if you're actually saying, I don't ever want to address this, to just name that to yourself and to the people around you. So that way, you know, your sort of willingness to be less problematic is known because otherwise, you know, you can be really a big source of fuckery. <laughs> then the second part of that too is, is whoever you're working with, if you're working with a guide, a leader, a coach or whatever, someone even you're just following online, are they practicing accountability? and being seen doing so? Are they willing to have difficult conversation, you know, and ask yourself based on your values and whatever you decide your values are, is that violating my values if I'm in community or contributing financially? You know, some people are charging, what, $15,000 with you for a month. Like if you're giving that kind of support to someone, are they being responsible within how they're using that energy and recirculating it? You know, it's like as energies pass, like I think of it as like we ping pong shit to each other all the time, like especially 
you like, if you would have responded to your child the opposite way of like, get out of here, you're ping ponging shit. And then you're going to go out later and they might be like, oh, I didn't clean my room. Like you see the clean room. And then you're like, why didn't you do that? And they're like, why would I? You don't listen to me. You know? So suddenly that ping ponging happens. Right. And so it's almost just like, if we can acknowledge that we're ping ponging all the shit. Right. And so like, it's this idea that like energy exchange is like that too. So if you're giving energetic support or monetary contribution to someone who's being extremely problematic and is not at least trying to dismantle their problematic behaviors or taking accountability or paying reparations or whatever that looks like when they're passing that money back on circulation again they're passing out that shitty energy so it's like if you think of money as a resource or how many places it goes and how much shitty energy is it picking up i'd say like nine out of ten places it goes has some unaddressed shitty energy that it's going i know i'm going to but like it's that idea too of energy so it's like if you're going about your day and you have access to realizing there's an improvising moment of oh i can take a breath approach this a different way i can receive what's happening i can reflect on how i want to respond and then i can release the urge that i have to go on a way that would be problematic how does that then sort of like take it? It's like fertilized, but not like a chemical. It's like, how can I add more nourishing energy back out instead of just ping-ponging right, what came right back at me? But sometimes you just have to react. That's when Pettymus Prime comes out, like totally do that. But just how is, can it be an option? And is the option enough? And that's the thing there. Sometimes that's just what happens. We're human, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's my survival <laughs> need energy, right? Like sometimes you just got to throw hands. Like if, if, if you're like, you know. Like there are times where that's just, oh yeah, if I play fawn or freeze, I come that the, those moments happen. That's great. But can that not be 99% of your life? But with this question of like, and it's even like the sort of tagline of my podcast, which I finally gifted myself as a way to soundboard. But you know, but this idea of like, how can life be more livable? And I think if we start our day asking ourselves that, how can life be more livable today? So if I had hot water, like it could be like wash at least one one bowl, like clear up one little space, you know, or I know I have to speak with someone who I, I feel really agitated around. Can I maybe ask a check-in question? What color is your heart today? So I can gauge their energy that coming in, you know, like what can make life more livable? Ideally, you know, this one build out to a more livable society and like human stability, right? This larger framework of how can life be more livable to everybody? But if I just start my day with that curiosity of what can be more livable right now, I then realize that that's something that I can engage with and share with others. And like, again, it's this ripple effect. No one person is supposed to change everything, but like, can we stop minimizing our ripple? Because we're rippling out shit, no problem. But can we actually realize that the waves of those ripples get higher and more purposeful when we're leading with that energy of, of what makes life more livable? Because we're all existing mostly. So few of us have access to living. And so yeah, even yeah. if you only get 10 minutes of living in a day, that 10 minutes is going to help you feel far more human and less robotic than not having that 10 minutes of your life being livable. And then that's how over time, more people get capacity from which they're able to challenge systems and we have system change. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And for those of you thinking, I don't have 10 minutes. It's not even 10 minutes at once. Pam modeled 30 seconds at a time of interacting with someone. I had to do that. So how many moments can that happen? And it becomes very intuitive and natural. And then it may not be until someone else acknowledges it. Like I was like, oh, I observed this, Pam. I want to point it out because you just did it without realizing it, you know, that it's happening and it's accumulating, it's building up. Right. So you might be doing it, but does your awareness shifting, realizing, oh, I do that. I am yes ending and I didn't realize it. Does that then actually allow you to feel the extra capacity you have? Are you able to like stretch your shoulders out. Can you feel your shit mountain has shifted a little bit in the past few weeks, but you didn't realize it. You know, can you start to get some of that energetic clutter out? Because I think like awareness, like one of the ways that I understand how my energy affects someone else is there's a few little taglines that have come through as downloads of like an awareness activator, a feelings facilitator, you know, there's like my open spleen and my open solar plexus, you know, like this awareness um, that I have, I offer to others. And if I'm doing a session with someone, I tell them like, look, I am like a fiber flush, right? I have all this mental energy. So I'm energetically headbutting you. Sorry. 
if it's hard, you know, and then everything else is sort of shaking off those cobwebs in your whole body, you know? So like that fiber flush is this energy coming through and it's going to loosen up some shit that you don't need to hold on to, or that you need to have a moment and be curious about and sit with and have that conversation with yourself and others, you know, like I'm going to be activating things. You're going to be feeling things. And I always end a, a session. So I'm, it's important for me to even share during this podcast. People might be, you're going to be experiencing my energy anyways. And I talk for like eight days, you know? So I always liked it for me. That's responsible to let someone else know how my energy might impact them because mental projectors are here to have a very noticeable exchange energetically. Yeah. And with me having head and Ajna divine, like it is that headbutt. And so then you can feel that headbutt throughout the day. So like, how can you take care and steward your body? Can you brain dump out after this if something's coming up for you? Can you notice if something's spiraling in a thought and then ask like, what's a joy practice I can do right now? Do I love a song? You know, this is a shout out to my niece who won't hear this because she's five, but she loves Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off or Shake It Out, whatever it is, Shake It Off. So like for her, you know, I could put that on and dance out, right? You know, something like that. Like what is going to be a way that you steward your body today? And can that be doing enough for embodiment? You don't have to be in your body all the time, but can having that and knowing like I just listened to this podcast and there's a lot of shit coming up now. Can I notice that and then choose a way to have joy in my body? That right there is, is shifting shit. That's doing the thing. That's yes anding. That's improvising. That's giving you different capacity to interact with others and have that intention of being less problematic. You're doing all of it. You just did 18 different theories that I share out every time I talk in my Lori talks, right? You're doing all of it and it takes five seconds and those little seconds build up. And then you get razzle dazzle points, which are exchangeable for brownie points and you can eat your calories. That's why I said my name's in calories. But you know, you can celebrate however you want and I'm going to be hyping you because I just love hyping people. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You make it so accessible. And that's part where I'm just so grateful is part of my energy. I don't know if it's need, motivation, or it's probably, but it's just like accessibility. Like you can just have the access to choice. Cause so much of my life, I felt like I did not have access to this simple, like feeling of belonging in my family, like things that just felt so fundamental. And so I'm really glad that you're receiving and perceiving it as there's this energy of accessibility. And I know there's so much more I can improve for accessibility in my business practices. And also, can I just acknowledge right now that it there are things that are accessible in what the practices themselves. And can I celebrate that? Yes. Yes, you can. Yes, I will. I'll be eating the food that my dogs keep <laughs> through the door. <laughs> no, our dog loves most vegetables too. Cauliflower, carrots are probably her favorites. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you for reminding me I have cauliflower in the fridge, but it's like, you know, got some back in a while. Back, I need yeah. to like do something with it. My favorite food as a child was raw cauliflower. I think it was a texture. Like I just, one again, as a mental protector, not knowing it and being a family wasn't allowed to talk like ever. I had so much tension, like pressure in my head. And so chewing some, a texture-based eater, like I'm that practice of chewing was essentially me shifting energy. So I loved that texture of raw cauliflower or like thick, chewy pasta. Like I'm still a texture mm-hmm. eater. Nate will be like, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, something chewy. And he's like, that's not helpful. I'm like, it is to me and I'll know when I encounter it if it's chewy enough. Like I made enchiladas the other day because I wanted the corners of the tortillas where it's folded over and gets chewy enough. And like I wanted that part of it. Did I eat the whole thing? Yes, but I made it just for the corners. And so pasta, I'm a corner person, brownies and cake the middle. It's funny. Oh. Baked goods, I don't like the corners because I want that. Now you know I call this Lori Jeopardy. You don't know what you'll learn, but all of you have just received 42,000 Lori points, redeemable <laughs> in any interaction. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> oh Pam thank you for humoring me oh I just I love talking space to play this is uh, yeah and I love to play too and that's why I like having conversations with you and other protectors and other thought leaders really in bringing different ways of thinking of playing with energy and healing and spirituality well I will leave you with one really probably TMI thought but the way of playing with embodiment I want to lend and offer everyone a way that that I even celebrate peeing. I apparently years ago started singing this song 
And I didn't realize until Nate said it one day before I started. And I was like, how does he hear that? Because I thought I was saying it in my head. When I pee, I sing out, I'm peeing out of my urethra and I make a whole song out of it. So TMI, I'm sharing that out with you. So if you're having a really mundane, heavy autopilot day ever, and you're just like, how can I practice being four years old right now? I lend you that song that you're peeing out of your urethra and feel free to sing it in any genre of your choice. But I saw an image of singing it and I trust that when I see an image, it's to share out. So I, whoever needed to hear that, you do you and I'm celebrating you and your bodily functions. And I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Thank you. If people want to connect with you after the show, yes. how can they find you? Just ask Pam because I'm moving to her house because she always is a mood. No, I'm kidding. But also if she wasn't so far away, I'd be there. So on Instagram, you can find me at improvide, which is I-M-P-R-O-V-I-D-E dot with dot Lori, which is L-O-R-I. Um, and I'd say that's the most consistent place to find me. From there, I'm a projector who's still deciding, do I actually need a website? Do I not? So like every Everything that's relevant would be linked there somehow as I figure out the other things and whether structures feel good or not. Thank you for asking, Pam. Oh, you're welcome. This episode, I expect, will be published around the end of March. Okay. Are there any offers around oh, that, yes. that you'd be excited to share? <gasps> Look at you, Pam. So I am daring to actually be visible and seen and acknowledge that I have things to share. Yay. And so I am finishing up the mini course called Yay or Yes and Yesterday. And it's literally a three-step process that can take five to 10 seconds a day for each of those steps on how to shift shit for yourself and to start waking up with feeling that little bit more capacity. So if you were interested in that part or like just curious, what could it feel like if I maybe wake up with 92%, you know, capacity instead of 99% taken up, you know, what does that extra 8%, you know, that part of it, that that program will be available. I also, um, part of what I didn't share earlier, my day job for the past 10 years is writing grants. And it's something that I'm so tired of writing other people's same story all the time. So I'm daring to actually realize that I have been so successful in that experience because I've been improvising away and I didn't allow myself to merge that part of my life. So I'm also have right around airy season, I'll be launching out the grant glow up, which is going to be a separate Instagram account, but it is this way of how can we embody our stories and actually tell funders what they need to hear. So that way they're funding and sharing their money more responsibly. And that way you're able to get what you really need funded, funded instead of the way that we often have to wordsmith and, you know, like limit ourselves in ways to get funded. So it's going to be challenging grant funding as a system, but in a really playful way, I'm the fairy grant mentor. <laughs> so all my things are going to have like, I'm wearing fairy wings and we're ridiculous and I love it. And it's so that will be for anyone who does any sort of storytelling, writing, any type of like seeking funding. So while it's going to be called the grant glow up, it's not specifically just for grants. It's going to be for any time that you're in a place where you have to share out something and and for an energetic exchange or currency exchange, and you're just feeling kind of beaten down about it. So it's going to be calling things out. It's going to be offering different ways to yes and those. So it's going to be really like having that conversation. And again, how can we play more with this? You know, like grant writing literally does suck. So the idea is like, how can it suck less? We're going to be playing with it. And also I'll be self-publishing the Grant Globe Guided Planner, which is going to be for anyone who's doing a literal proposal. It's going to be a facilitated way to do that with more ease. Um, and I'll also share that Mercury and I created... I say that because she was on me the whole time. Her first few weeks here, we created the Body Bottle Breast Digest. And it is a 
workbook that supports postpartum parents with not only taking care of their own needs. So checking in with embodiment, how am I doing? Am I eating? Do I need more support? But also the caregiving for a baby. And so that can be for the literal parent, but it can also be like, if you're going to daycare and you want a way to get information on how they're doing during the day or a parent's coming over, anything like that. So that's also a resource that I wanted to be as accessible as possible. Night three, five, you know, I used it myself. I was like, what do I need to feel supported with taking care of a child while having ADHD and not being a parent before? So that's also available through Amazon there. And the Grant Globe Guided Planner will be on Amazon. But yes, so that would be what's wow. happening. That sounds so amazing. Next days -ish. Okay, make sure and have all the links in the show description so that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, because that was a lot of information in five minutes. So yes, links. Thanks, Pam. Pam is really, I want to see Pam. Pam is so great at helping make sense of your chaoticness. I will say Pam is so patient in the way that she can distill things down and make them like easeful for a user. I really appreciate. I don't know how many times she's had to remind me to pay an invoice for a certain program that I'm in, but every time I don't feel like she's like wants me to trip on a rock. I genuinely can tell that she's just like sending a helpful reminder. So I just want to thank you for the way that you steward your community because you really do it from this place of accessibility. You know, like it is, it's like, how can this be something that is approachable and how can it support those around you? So thank you for that, Pam. Thank you so much for that. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. If you'd like to connect with Lori, all of her information will be linked in the episode description, or you can head over to my website, madforpurple.com to access the show notes. Some key takeaways. Political and other institutionalized systems are perpetuated by keeping people insecure. Disembodiment is essentially what white people inherit through whiteness, so be mindful of what practices you may be co-opting or appropriating to become embodied. We all have a shit mountain inside of us that needs to be processed and not hoarded. Each of us has our own microphone. We just need an awareness around when to turn it up or off as everyone deserves to be heard, validated, and nourished. For the mental projectors listening, make a practice of soundboarding, even if you don't feel like there's any decisions you need to be making right now. And lastly, when it comes to money, be mindful of who you are exchanging with and ask yourself if their values match yours and are they recirculating that energy in the least problematic way. If you'd like to support me and the show, please share this episode or head over to Apple and leave a review. If you'd like to learn more about human design as a tool for self-actualization, you can sign up for my free presentation, Human Design for Self-Actualization at the link in the description. And before you leave, don't forget to click that follow button on your podcast listening app so that you don't miss an episode. New episodes come out each Thursday, so be sure to tune in. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you then.